Not only does God love us, he is with us. I'd like to take a moment to offer a very brief prayer for this time right now. And it may sound familiar. So join me in saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, may your name be made holy throughout the nations. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our prayer today. It is a prayer that sometimes gets overlooked, but one that I think is extremely important. Today I'd like to speak to you from a passage in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. Um, we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. Now for some of you this is a familiar passage and it should be. It reflects a lot of what we know about God and it also reflects a lot of what we know about ourselves. So we'll um, read the passage in just a moment. Before we do that, I'd like to share with you some some of the things that has kind of been going through my mind uh, as we've experienced uh, the circumstances of late. You know, we've had plenty of time to shelter at home. Sometimes that's unpleasant. Other times it can be quite rewarding. I have had the time to catch up on some TV watching. Thank God for Netflix. <laughs> yes, when you start binge watching series that have seven or eight seasons and 20 episodes per season, yes. But it tends to wear on us after a while, doesn't it? Some of the shorter seasons... Um, my wife and I, we have a fond affection for a series called Longmire. Uh, we have watched the entire series of seasons four times. Um, there may be a fifth in the future. Who knows? But as we have taken the time to reflect on some of this um, what we have discovered is that you know sometimes it's a bit of a struggle and sometimes it causes us to reflect remember I remember as growing up as, as a child in in, uh, in Chituga County uh, on Saturday evenings it became a ritual to watch wrestling. Now, the only station available with good wrestling on it was Channel 12. Uh, we only had three stations, so not a lot of options. And we thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, my grandparents, uh, my grandfather especially, watched it religiously. Uh, he was of the opinion that it was real. Some of us held different opinions. But as kids, we didn't care one way or the other. 
we were too busy either watching or out practicing headlocks, backflips, the souffles, and all this other good stuff. And it was great until someone got hurt. Then that's when the referees, mom and dad, the other adults stepped in and put us in our separate corners for a bit of a break. But the older we got, the less interested we were in watching wrestling on TV because we had traded one form of wrestling for another. We began to wrestle with the events of daily life. And rather than resorting to the moves that we'd seen on TV and practiced in the yard and the living room, we engaged in the rhetoric of the day. You know, folks had said, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. Take control of this. Get something done now. Or as my parents would say, do it. Don't ask why, just do it. You know, and we would, we would do our best to get it done, and sometimes we would have to take a risk. If it worked out, we were brave. We were smart, intelligent. If it didn't work out, well, it was a bit foolish. <laughs> uh, we learned quickly there is a very fine line between bravery and foolishness. Sometimes it's predicated on success. Others would tell us that, you know, times are tough. Get a helmet. In other words, deal with it. We were expected to endure with a stoic, a stoic facade to suffer in silence. Yet, that's one of the items that transitioned over into the realm of faith. In fact, we were expected to do that as believers. See, because if we talked about our struggles, if we acknowledged even the fact that there, we were in the struggle, we were thought of as having little or no faith. We were just weak. Then the rhetoric changed. The mantra became, give it to God. Give it all to God. Well, life is tough. My helmet doesn't fit, but I'm going to give it all to God. You know, this is a bit of a passive approach, isn't it? What makes it such a passive approach is the fact how can we give God what is already his? That was a problem that we wrestled with. How can we give God something that he's already aware of, something that he's already in the midst of? Ultimately, these strategies did not satisfy And we began to ask the question, why? And what I've learned over the years is that our faith is, is a living faith. 
It's a dynamic faith. It's an interaction between the Spirit of God, the Scriptures, experience, not only my experience, but the shared experiences of others, and not a little bit of reflection. Say we resort to these insights to help us to cope with our own wrestling matches, our struggles, which are always open to further reflection, opportunities for growth, and the yearning for good news. You know, since the days of Adam and Eve, God has sought out and wrestled with people in an effort to help them to realize value, meaning, and purpose. God provides us with an example of this in Genesis 32. So let's look at verses uh, 22 through 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over his possessions, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was uh, wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked him, What is your name? Jacob answered, Jacob. That's my name. That's who I am. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have wrestled with God, struggled with God, and with humans, and have overcome. And Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he, re but he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, and he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Rather an unusual passage. In fact, the Old Testament is full of unusual passages. So let's take a look at what we know so far. First off, we know the nature of the struggle. Jacob was wrestling not only with people, but with God. And frankly, sometimes it's difficult to, to distinguish the two. Sometimes our wrestling matches with others 
is more indicative of our wrestling match with God. But what we can learn from this even further is that this is the nature of the human existence. Since the days of Adam and Eve in the garden, God has sought out and struggled, wrestled with his people. Second thing that we can know from this passage is that uh, Jacob was at this place for two distinct reasons. Number one, he was facing his past. If you're familiar with the story, we know that Jacob was, for lack of a better way of saying it, a bit of a player, a con man, a trickster. He had tricked his brother out of his inheritance. Then he had to leave town. His father, Isaac, sent him back to, the, to their family home, Padanaram, to his grandfather, Bethuel, not only to escape the wrath of Esau, but also to find a wife. So Jacob was facing his past. But we also know, too, that Jacob had a history with God. If we go back to Genesis 28, when Jacob was fleeing uh, the wrath of Esau, he stopped to rest for the evening, and there he had a dream. A dream in which God spoke to him, Genesis 28:15. The Lord told Jacob, Pay attention, Jacob. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Note the common thread here. God has always been with Jacob. God promised to be with Jacob. God promised to complete his purpose for Jacob. Now God had brought him to this point. And if we follow the text carefully, looking at the nuances of the terminology, we see that when Jacob entered into this wrestling match, he first thought he was wrestling with a person then came to realize this is God. He hasn't left me. I'm not going to let go. I want him to bless me. So as Jacob returned, he wrestled with God, knowing that God had promised to be with him. So Jacob executed his plan to return home. Now he was alone in the wrestling match of his life. Yet, you need to picture this in your mind. 
when the wrestling match was over with, Jacob limped away from the encounter. Can you imagine this? Picture this in your mind. As you're looking across the field, you see this man walking towards you. His hair's all disheveled. You know, you, you, we're talking about bedhead on steroids. Sand all on his hair, his face, and he's on a crutch. And you're thinking, who in the world is that? And as he hobbles past, people, Jacob, is that you? Yeah. What happened? Oh, I've been blessed. Not the normal picture of blessing, is it? Yet, sometimes that's the way we feel. We have an encounter with God. God blesses us. And we feel like we're limping away. See, much like Jacob, many of us are wrestling with God. But what is the nature of our struggle? It is, the, it is the same struggle that Adam and Eve, Jacob, and even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane engaged in. A decision between the ways of God or the ways of the world. That is our struggle. And one of the reasons that we're in that struggle is that God has brought us to this place. God is with us in the midst of this struggle. Yet, we still ask questions. We want to know why. And that question has come to the forefront because our world has changed. Our sense of normal is not normal because it's not what we've become accustomed to. We may either directly or indirectly be asking, why is this happening? Who's at fault? How will I and the people that I care for get through? How will we survive? Why is God allowing this? Where is God in all of this? How can we honor God in this tumultuous time? So we do what we know to do, correct? We turn to the Bible. We look for answers. Yet, as we look at the various passages in which God is faced with these questions, the first thing we learn is that he does not offer neat answers. In fact, in many occasions, he doesn't offer an answer at all. He doesn't say much beyond one simple statement. I will be with you. 
that is enough. There's something else that we learn through all of this as well. As we go back and review the struggle that Adam and Eve had in the garden, that Jacob had, the struggle that Job had, even Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, Lord, not my, uh, my will, but your will be done. God does not blame Jacob for his struggle. In fact, if we look closely enough, we're going to see that God engineered the struggle. He set it up. He kept his promise. Not only was the Lord with Jacob, he was also on Jacob's side. See, once again, if we simply follow this this theme, this trend throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, this is a common thread. God is with us. God is on our side. God fights for us. See, God doesn't chastise anyone for wrestling with him, struggling to know him, to know his ways, to, vi- to find value, meaning, and purpose. Yet, our questions remain. And sometimes we resort to the standards of the old rhetoric, thinking that, well, we shouldn't be asking these questions. We just should be able to believe. Well, I want to set that aside for just a moment and offer you an alternative. I've come to realize that our questionings are important. And I want to share with you why I think that they are important. You see, our questions, our wrestling with God is an important indicator that we have a desire for God. See, we engage in these wrestling matches with God because we want to know Him. We want to know His truth. We want to know His will, His desires. We want to know His heart. We want to know where we fit in His plan how we should live. So when the questions come up and the struggles ensue, know that they're here for a reason. And that reason is we want to know God. Secondly, these questions, these struggles are important because they are indicators of a growing faith. As they sang earlier, we are getting stronger. 
We are growing in God's grace. We are growing in our faith. So they are a key to growing faith. A growing faith inspires. A growing faith motivates. It motivates us to tireless work. We do not give up. We continue plodding along. Even when the events of life seem so mundane, so repetitious, so boring, we continue on because our faith is growing. Not only do we continue on in our labor, but we continue on in this labor as a labor of love. Whether it be any act of ministry, an act of kindness, or just simply giving our best to the people that we encounter on a regular basis. Giving our best to, to the folks that come to us looking for wisdom and insight. You see, a growing faith inspires, it motivates, it pushes us forward, and it does so as a labor of love. Also, a growing faith inspires, motivates hope. We have hope. Our hope is based on the assurance that God is with us, that God is for us. And ultimately, we will be with God. Now, you think, well, this all sounds well and good. But once again, if you follow this thread throughout Scripture, particularly in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, you will see that these are three dominant themes. You see, our wrestling matches, our wrestling with God demonstrates our awareness of God. We want to know him. It opens the opportunity to grow in our faith, to work for God, to work with as a labor of love, to hope. Remember, Jacob was alone and wrestled with a person, a person he later recognized as God himself. He wrestled with this person until he received blessing. He endured. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no greater blessing than the presence of God in our lives. Because out of that comes all the other things that we desire. So what do we do with, with what we've learned in this? Yes, we're in a wrestling match. At times it's a bit more intense than others. So what do we do? First and foremost, I believe that we focus on what's most important. In other words, don't let your circumstances interfere with your relationship with God. 
those circumstances may include people, places, things. Don't let them interfere with your relationship with God. Because ultimately, He is with us. Ultimately, we are growing, not only in our relationship with Him, but in our faith as well. Our determination. Our, our, our love for Him, His people. And the hope that he has given us through his promises. Also realize too that um, this transformation that God is bringing about in our life through this wrestling match. Is oftentimes an arduous process. At times it can be painful. But we will walk away from it. Maybe with a limp. But we will walk away. We will walk away because God is with us. Because God is for us. Having said that, I suggest that we respond to this not only by focusing on what's important, but by allowing the process of transformation to come about but also by living, loving, and hoping the way that God intended. In holiness, in purity, and in integrity. I think those are the qualities that God wants to bring about in our lives. I also think that God wants us to find satisfaction in the simple pleasures of life. Because the simple things, the simple pleasures, the obligations, the responsibilities that we face are part of God's plan for us. A part, they are a part of his blessing. I would recommend that you read through the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon emphasizes this. You see, we, we are assured of a destination, heaven. But we still have a journey to take. Jesus is calling. Jesus is leading. We are following. So we need to find joy. We need to find satisfaction, meaning, purpose in the simple events of life. There is joy in the journey. And folks, when we engage in a long trip or something like that, if the journey has been enjoyable, isn't the joy of arriving at the destination even that much better? How many of you have had a less than desirable trip and it had a negative impact on the nature of your arrival? There is joy in the journey. And finally, I think this is what God wants us to learn also from this passage. We need to rest in the Lord. Now, what do I mean by that? To rest in the Lord is to understand that 
He is enough. God is sufficient. We do not have to go anywhere else to find what we're looking for. We find what we need, what we desire, our hopes, our dreams in God himself. The ultimate goal is to rest in the Lord. So these, these items that I, I mentioned are also our call to action. Follow the Lord. Hang in there with him. Don't give up. The journey is worth it. Look for the simple pleasures. And when the day is done, rest. Rest in the Lord himself.